we have been using a lot of big words. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Lots of strong adjectives. The strongest in the English language. Words that uh, are on the extreme edge as we define things. Marvelous and wonderful. And we're going to see that the Apostle Paul uses some extreme language too to describe the Savior's love for us, the boundless riches of Christ, the marvelous way that He cares for us, the manifold wisdom of God. These are words that are in the text today as we look at God's eternal purpose for us in Christ Jesus. We're marching through the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 3. We're at verse 7. That's where I'll be reading from today. We're going to have the NIV on the screen. I'll be reading the NIV. If you have a Bible, you are invited to turn to the text and read along. Here's the Apostle Paul talking to us now in the midst of this chapter, verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, Paul describes himself here as a deacon of the gospel. The word servant translates the very word that we use uh, for deacon. And deacon is a transliteration of the word. Sometimes that word is used generically like he uses it here to just describe a servant. And sometimes in the New Testament, it's used to describe an office in the early church, of which there were two. According to 1 Timothy 3, there were pastors and there were deacons. So how many deacons do we have here? Let me see your hands for a second. Our deacons serve our uh, ordinances and they also receive the offering. And uh, deacons, I thought it'd be important for us to just note it. All of us are deacons in that we are servants of the gospel. We're servants of the Lord Jesus. And it is our privilege to be his servant. In fact, the New Testament describes Jesus as the servant of God and the servant of the Lord. So it's a good term. It's a high term and a wonderful term. But when it's used specifically to describe a deacon, I think it is interesting here that Paul says, I am a servant of the gospel. And so today we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about how we serve the gospel and God's eternal purpose unveiled and unfolded in the gospel. And the first thing I note as I go into this text is that Paul wants to make plain the administration of this mystery. And so we would want to join him in making plain 
the mystery of the gospel. It ought to be plain to everyone, he says. Paul repeats himself here in this text. He says that he wants to make plain the mystery and he wants to preach to the Gentiles. Those are two ways of saying the same thing. Preach the gospel to the Gentiles and make the mystery known to everyone. He also compares the administration of the grace of God to the boundless riches of Christ. So in these two clauses, he says sort of the same thing, that the administration of the mystery is about the boundless riches in Christ. Well, it's amazing what God brings us through his riches, through Christ our Lord. They are boundless, the Apostle Paul says. I once thought that I had discovered boundless riches for me, my brothers, and my dad. My brothers and I were exploring an abandoned mine shaft in the Franklin Mountains there in El Paso, and we had just come upon it and decided to go in it. There's nobody there to keep us from it, and uh, it was a dark shaft, and we had some flashlights, not bright enough, though, to uh, identify a vertical shaft into which I almost fell as I was walking along, which would have been the end of me, but uh, God watches over fools, I guess. And so I saw it just before I took that last step. But when we flashed our lights on the side of the mine shaft, it sparkled. And I ran over there when I saw the sparkle, and I looked, and here's this golden line all the way along that mine shaft. And I got something, and I just knocked out those pieces of gold and filled up my hand and stuffed it until I had a pocket full of gold. And I went home to my dad and said, Dad, our troubles are over. I've got all the gold we need, and anytime we need more, I know just where to get it. And I pulled out of my pocket what I thought was a pocket full of gold, and Dad said, David, that's not gold, that's fool's gold. And so I was pretty deflated about that. I thought we had fixed our financial future, boundless riches. But here we have the riches that Paul describes and the Bible describes as boundless indeed. And so much of the riches turn out to be not really that, but more troublesome. All these things we suppose are riches, but here we have the boundless riches in Christ Jesus. Now, they are boundless, one thing for sure, because they're for everybody in the world. Everybody can partake of these boundless riches that are in Christ. There are no national, ethnic, cultural boundaries to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is for everyone, thus it is boundless. And we discover when we receive Christ that these riches in Christ are boundless because they are fresh like the dew every morning. They never run out. The delight that God brings us in so many different things And you know, those of you who know me, how much I enjoy the natural world and all the beauty that God has woven in around us. And I'm just thrilled to accidentally be in the path of the total eclipse. I'm going to go out there and just enjoy this wonderful thing, this amazing sign in the heavens of the power and glory of God. The riches of Christ are boundless. Through years of observing and enjoying those riches, I still find them new every morning, just like you do. And they are boundless in that they are not just for time, but for eternity. 
Had I found a vein of gold that I could claim and go back to again and again whenever I needed more, it would have run out in this life. But the scripture says that God has an eternal purpose for us. And his eternal purpose is in these boundless riches which Christ delivers that are not only for time, but for eternity. Think about it. And the scripture says here that we want to make plain this mystery about the boundless riches of Christ and to let everybody know. And he uses the phrase, everyone. He wants to tell everyone. I want everyone to be on your mind this week because there's someone in your path this week that needs to know about the boundless riches of Christ. Now, we're not talking about the boundless riches of the Baptist church, nor any other church. We're not talking about the boundless riches of some philosophical system that we have developed. We're not talking about the boundless riches of anything man-made. We're talking about the boundless riches that are found in Christ Jesus. So, when you have your gospel conversation this week, and you run into somebody who needs to hear because everybody needs to hear, you need to make sure that you get to Jesus in your conversation. Make sure that Jesus is part of the discussion, that somehow you mention him. So that if you are having a conversation, as I did this week, with somebody who doesn't know, and they talked about trying out different religions. Take the opportunity to say to them, well, I don't really think that salvation is found in religion. It's found in a person. It's found in Jesus. I used to sing a song. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so kind and true. Well, that song captures why it's sometimes difficult to mention the name of Jesus in a conversation. Because it's a very intimate part of your life. It's very close to who you are. And when you mention Jesus in a conversation, even in passing, sort of stops the conversation and it might collapse in your lap. <laughs> okay, you've mentioned Jesus. Where are you going with this? But it's important that we not give people the impression that there's some religious structure out there that will deliver to them boundless riches. It's just not true. The boundless riches are found in Christ and Christ alone. And so it is our responsibility and obligation to talk about Jesus. There'll be an opportunity for a Jesus conversation this week and you might use the phrase that I used this week with another person who was talking about religion. And I said to them, well, I'm a Jesus person, okay? I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's who I am. And I explained to someone, I believe that salvation comes through receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, I know in some circles that may not be politically correct, but it is what the apostle is talking about here. These boundless riches that we must make plain 
Okay? We got to make this plain. Make plain the mystery of the gospel. The mystery was hidden in God for these generations. But now, in the fullness of time, the apostle says, it is revealed, it is unveiled. And the mystery is this, that through Jesus Christ, not only Jews, but also Gentiles, which includes every single breathing human being on the planet, have the opportunity to come into the family of God and have their sins forgiven. And join God's eternal purpose. This is the mystery that is made known. And it's all about Jesus. So we've got to go there. I'm hoping that we'll have lots of gospel conversations. That will help us make plain the mystery. Over at the seminary, they're going to start celebrating a hundred years of ministry. Did you know this? It starts in October. And there will be a calendar year where different events will happen that will celebrate their centennial. It happens actually in the 300th anniversary of the city of New Orleans and the 175th anniversary of this congregation. How about that? This congregation was started in 1843. And for all these years, there's been a continuous gospel ministry called First Baptist Church. And so we've been proclaiming the gospel all these years. Well, the seminary has decided that for its staff, its faculty, its alumni, and its students, the goal for the year is to have 100,000 gospel conversations. So I suppose there's going to be some way to report the conversations, right, as we have them with people in our community. So take the opportunity, all right, and make sure you get to Jesus. He's the whole point. Make plain the mystery and make known the wisdom of God. Look at verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, and this is the importance the apostle places on the church of Jesus Christ, which is the organization, the body that exists in the world to carry forth the gospel and the purpose of God. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities. Something new has come into the world, a new understanding of what God intends, and it came with Jesus of Nazareth. We talk about Jesus as the light of the world. We talk about him as the word who was made flesh. We believe the Jesus event is the event of all time. It's the event that is the pinnacle of human history, that God, the creator God, invaded space and time in human history in a man called Jesus. That's why we sing about Jesus the Nazarene. He's the Nazarene. What does that mean? What it means is he was from Nazareth. That's where he grew up. All right? So you're singing about the incarnation of God in Christ when you sing about Jesus, the Nazarene. This is the great event of all human history, and we want to make known the wisdom of God that was revealed in that event. Paul says it's happening now, this amazing revelation. The coming of Jesus brings a new understanding about God and his purpose in the world. See, God has an intention in all this. He is the God who created all things. 
Paul mentions as he begins to talk about this intention. His purpose has not changed. Rather, his purpose is now being disclosed more fully in the world. The purpose and intent of God is very important. He intends to rescue us through the gift of his son. That is what is being unveiled in Jesus. That God does have an intention and purpose. It is for every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet. He wills that all will come to repentance and that none will perish. That is what is the desire of the heart of God according to Scripture. And this is his intent, his purpose in the world that folks might come to know him. The God who created all things exalted Jesus to the highest place And so we are Jesus people who believe that God has revealed himself most fully and completely in a great crescendo of his glory in his son, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, crucified outside the city wall of Jerusalem, buried and risen again. And Paul says here, That this wisdom of God is going to be proclaimed to the principalities and powers, which are here translated rulers and authorities. These are two very common Greek words, arche as rulers, exousia as the authorities. And these principalities and powers have been discussed for some time among believers who study the scriptures. Paul uses this couplet four or five times in his letters, including here and one other place in the book of Ephesians, talking about these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, he says. And so some people suppose that maybe these are the angels and other created beings. And some of the folks in the first century had elevated these other beings that God has made to a position far above humans and they used them almost as intermediators between humans and God and the apostle Paul is attacking that notion by saying the church of Jesus Christ people who have experienced the love of God have something to teach these principalities and powers in the heavenly places there's something they need to know and discover about the great God who made them In other words, the salvation, the rescue of human beings is going to be a lesson for all time in all places and among all the created order of God. Secondly, the principalities and powers are often thought of as the spiritual rulers of the darkness of this world. And so may even be humans who are affected by spiritual powers and in places of authority. So the church of Jesus Christ is planted here to bring this mystery about the truth of God's love in Jesus, even to the authorities that reign high in our world, even to the darkness that reigns high here. The light shines in the darkness, John said, and the darkness could not overcome it. Make plain the mystery Make known the manifold wisdom of God. This is a great word here. It's used to describe the beautiful colors of a bird in the, in the Greek language. It's used to describe the beautiful design of a flower, its intricacies, the variegated leaf of an oak tree. The manifold wisdom of God. It's like a beautiful weaving. 
as you examine the threads and how they go through the cloth and marvel at the artistry of that weaver. Or you look at a painting that is intentionally three-dimensional. And if, if you look just at its surface, you never see the image that the author hid there. But if you focus beyond it, suddenly an image pops into view that is hidden in that painting. And so it is this mystery of God, the manifold wisdom of God, is made known not as you focus so much on what is right in front of you, but as you look past it to the wonder of the Lord Jesus and the boundless riches that are in Christ, and then the mystery leaps out of the picture. I know as I talk about the beauty of God's world and how he speaks to me through all these wonders he has made and the manifold wisdom of God, the amazing depth of his understanding. There are people who look at the natural order and they never see the beauty of God. They don't hear the heavens declare his beauty and the firmament showing his handiwork. They can't see it. But once you look past the flat painting and focus on the one who is behind it, the image leaps out that the creator always intended. This is what you are to see when you see a beautiful thing in your backyard or a waterfowl flying by. You are to see the amazing God who made it all. So when I stand tomorrow, hopefully, if we can get there from Birmingham to Nashville, and I observe this total eclipse, I'm going to say in my soul, as I did when I stood in the sequoias of California, God, you are amazing. You are amazing. The manifold beauty of your world, the manifold wisdom of your grace. Make it known, this wisdom of God, and approach God with freedom and confidence. So we have this eternal purpose that God is unfolding through Christ our Lord. It's a purpose that he established before the foundation of the earth. It's not plan B. It's all that he intended to do through his son Jesus. And he is now revealing this eternal purpose. And so in the light of this eternal purpose, I have the opportunity to approach God. And I do so with freedom. We are to approach God with freedom. Have you ever been before a person you considered very great, well-known, and famous, and tried to talk, and your words just got mixed up? Has that ever happened to you? It has happened to me, okay? It's happened to me. It happened when I met uh, the boxer, uh, Holyfield, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the boxing champ of the world is there in the uh, seats where I was at the Astros. And so I didn't know what to say. And sometimes you come before people that are impressive and famous and you just kind of blather around. You don't really know what you're saying. It's distracting. Well, the word freedom here could be translated freedom to speak. 
okay? So before maybe, when you thought about going before God, before you knew his eternal purpose, maybe you were afraid of God. Maybe you thought of God as angry or judgmental. And you were fearful that what, what, of what God might do to you. You really didn't come to him with a freedom to speak. But now, because we know God's eternal purpose is to make us his own through Jesus Christ, forgiving all of our sin in his grace, that this God is full of grace. And this is his eternal purpose, is to turn this grace loose on you and fill your life with his grace. And you realize that this is God's eternal purpose. Suddenly you're tongue is loosed as you come into the place of prayer and you talk to the king of the universe the creator of it all now you can speak freely you can tell him your heart because you know his purpose is to rescue you that he loves you and he loves to pour his grace upon you and somebody in this room needs to receive this okay somebody here is living without God's grace somebody here is just not believing that God could love you as far as you've gone from him and the things that you've done and the way that you've been. And I'm telling you, you have misunderstood the grace of God. It is a marvelous grace. He loves to reach out to the lowest of the low and lift them up, forgiving them, cleansing them, and make them fully part of the family. He loves to do that. Some of you, when you come before the Father, you're afraid to tell him what's really on your mind. You come to the place of prayer. Sometimes we lie to God when we pray. Have you ever lied to God when you pray? You think maybe you got that by God, you know? <laughs> I don't really want God to know about this. Come on. We know God's eternal purpose. His eternal purpose is to save us, to make us his trophies of grace. No need to lie in his presence. Sometimes people are angry at God, and they ask me, how, how should I pray? I mean, I'm really upset. And I say, well, pray like Jonah prayed. Pray like Jeremiah prayed. The prophets prayed when they were angry at God, and the scriptures recorded their words. And God knows what's going on in your heart. It's not like you can hide it from him. Everything is open and visible to the one to whom we will give an account one day. There is nothing about your life that is hidden from him. And so knowing his eternal purpose is to rescue you and forgive you and make you his own. You come into his presence with the freedom of speech. You can say what's going on in here. He can handle the anxieties and doubts and fears that you have. And as you speak them to him in prayer, he ministers to you in your need. But you've got to come clean. So you approach God honestly with the freedom to speak what is on your heart. Sometimes we think, well, I can't bring this to God. I mean, it's such a little thing compared to all the big things. No, if it's on your heart, you have freedom to speak. 
Bring it before the Lord, whatever it is. Lay it before Him. Because you have freedom and confidence. You can come boldly and you can come with confidence. And this confidence is about the access that you have. Some of us backpedal in regard to prayer and worship when our life gets in trouble. And we behave in ways we shouldn't behave or we feel like we've been morally compromised. And so we stop going to church or we feel like we really can't be part of it. Or we stop reading our Bible and, and praying to God because we feel badly about ourselves. Now here's the thing. God's eternal purpose is to make you part of the family. And so as you receive Jesus as Savior, He cleanses you of your sin and you have access to God through the righteousness of Christ. Through His sacrifice upon the cross, He bought you access to the Father. So you have been prayerless. If you have, know today, You have access to God through Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. It doesn't depend on your behavior. It depends on your willingness to come before Him and say, here I am. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. And our confidence comes not from our behavior, but from the access Christ bought for us at Calvary. This ought to change your prayer life. It ought to be different when you pray to know that your access to God is on the basis of what Jesus has done. You also ought to know that when you step out of the will and purpose of God, the guilt that comes upon you happens in you, and it's a barrier. And sometimes we want to be excused instead of forgiven. And so we don't come to God honestly, saying, God, I messed up. We come to God with excuses. That's why the song says, nothing in my hands I bring. Just like I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. That's how you come before God. You can approach him with freedom and confidence when you come, not with excuses about who you are or what you've done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. Receiving his forgiveness, honestly talking to him about who you are and where you are. Will you do it this week? Along with those gospel conversations, which I hope every one of you will have this week, where you bring up Jesus, even if it's, One sentence, I know these conversations can be fast and they may happen in public or in a break room or somewhere, but to bring up Jesus and let people know that this is the one whom you serve and to go into the place of prayer with confidence and freedom knowing all that he has done for you. Now the Apostle Paul lays right beside this confidence and this freedom in approaching God, this warning, do not be discouraged by my sufferings for you. The Apostle Paul knows that the pain and trouble we experience in this world often discourages us, and I'm sure there's somebody here who is in that very situation. You served God faithfully, you had a joyful walk with the Lord, 
and then something interrupted that walk, some sickness, some sorrow or bereavement, maybe of your own or somebody else. These Ephesians were admirers of the Apostle Paul. They felt like the Apostle Paul was a first-rate Christian, that he was the holiest man they knew, that he had brought the gospel to them. And so he had an elevated position before God, and now he is locked up and he is suffering. And if this happens to the Apostle Paul, then what might happen to me? I mean, is there no protection in your faith in God? And so we get discouraged when trouble comes. And the apostle, who is himself the one that is suffering, says to them, don't be discouraged by the sufferings that have happened. So I'm saying to you, don't be discouraged by the suffering that happened to somebody you admire, to your mother or your father, your brother or your sister, your child, your aunt, your grandparents. Do not be discouraged by suffering. James says, that this suffering we should rejoice in because it produces fruit in our lives. Peter says that this suffering that we experience is a light thing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. They are seeking to put the pain and trouble that we experience here in the context of God's eternal purpose. God's eternal purpose is to bring you into his family, to make you part of his own, to give you citizenship in heaven so that eternally you will be an emblem of his grace and eternally with him. I mean, it's, it astonishes me that Jesus would want to be with me. But he tells his friends before he leaves. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's about to die on the cross. It's going to be awful. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? I believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. All right. Jesus, this is almost too much, okay? You really want to hang around with me for all eternity? That's what he says. The mansion that you've heard about in heaven is there so that where he is, you can be. That's what he wants. Put the pain and trouble in your life and in the lives of those you love in the context of the eternal purpose of God, the boundless riches of Christ. These things that you suffer now are temporary. They are light afflictions, one of the apostles said, who was himself martyred, compared to the glories that will be revealed in you. God's eternal purpose for you is not pain and suffering. As the apostle John said at the end of his life, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending from heaven, adorned as a bride for her husband. And I heard a voice say, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. The former things 
are passed away. That is God's eternal purpose for you. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for revealing the mystery of your will hidden in ages past and now made known through your glorious Son, Jesus. I pray that you will remind us of those boundless riches in Christ as we struggle with pain and trouble in the present day. Lord, I pray for those who are under a burden of loss and pain that, God, you might give them the comfort of your Holy Spirit and the strength of your presence that they might be strengthened in their inner being. And, God, keep us from discouragement when we face difficulties and trials and hard times. Help us to keep your eternal purpose in mind. Lord, I pray for the gospel conversations that will happen this week in New Orleans as we scatter from this place into this community. Lord, set up these appointments. Help us to know when they're happening. Give us boldness to speak the name of Jesus in the midst of these moments that they might truly be gospel conversations. God, I pray that you will help us this week as we pray to come with freedom and confidence into your presence because of what Jesus did for us. In his name we pray, amen.